Hello everybody, it has been a while, but we are back and welcome to Take 18, a podcast where we love to talk about movies because we love the movies. Hi everybody, my name is Daniel Lair. I am the founder and executive director of the Central Coast Film Society, and this show is produced by the said Central Coast Film Society. Today we're going to actually be having a wonderful conversation with Mr. John Copeland. He is a local filmmaker, but he has done amazing things and he has got so much insight. Can't wait to talk about all that. Um, we're also going to be talking about an event that we have coming up to, uh, this month. And actually, it's uh, pretty recent if you're listening to this as soon as we drop it. So definitely uh, listen. We're going to be talking about that soon. But if this is your first show, I just want to say thank you for stopping by and checking us out. Um, please go back and see all of our old episodes. We have got amazing people that have uh, come and done some interviews with us, uh, folks that have worked on movies and uh, things that I had no idea about. And I'm not saying I'm a know-it-all, but I like to be in the know. And um, But this is a great way for me to learn. And, and I'm, I'm so excited that I get to share that with you guys. So please, if you ever get a chance, just go on back. Take a look, listen, like us, share us, let us uh, let us know how we're doing. Um, that'd be great. But throughout this entire podcast series, we're going to be looking into movie news. Um, I do some reviews, but of course, mainly these interviews are uh, keys to what we do around here. Um, we also do some filmmaker takes and just talk about making movies and, and how do we do that. But of course, that's part of the interviews that, like what we're going to be doing today with John Copeland. So let's get started. So I know it's been a while since we've had a podcast and uh, in that amount of time we've had, I, I, I don't know, it, has it been, uh, has it been a lot of movie news or has it been, there's not much really to say because not much is going down. Um, but I don't know, a lot's changed. <laughs> so since we were on here last, the movie theaters have, they've closed down again. Um, and here in California, uh, they were open. I, I actually sat my butt in a theater and, uh, felt safe, felt great. And I, I was just so excited. Uh, sad to say that that only happened that one time in uh, watching Tenet. Um, but, uh, yeah. And then, uh, Regal, um, they, they announced that they're not going to open again until the first quarter of 2021. And this is of course, ultimately because movie studios is they've pushed their all their theatrical releases back to 2021 those are not going to go direct to streaming um so this isn't a due to lack of the theaters wanting to stay open it's just because it's a the simple supply and demand law um it's just how it's going and there are a couple of local theater chains here on the central coast that are trying to do what they can to stay open and uh stay afloat and find some sort of uh, uh, sources of income, but that's where we also want to help them out because, you know, if we celebrate movies, uh, we want to do that by helping them continue to show movies because we can't celebrate it without the theaters. That is absolutely true. So, um, and speaking of that, we have a a really cool event I want to share with you guys. It's going to be after our interview with John Copeland towards the end of our um, the end of our podcast, so stick with us, listen to the interview, uh, and that's going to be amazing. Now, before we jump in with that conversation with John, I, I do want to say one quick little thing of some Central Coast film news. Um, recently, we had a really big premiere on a Lifetime Christmas movie. It was called A Very Charming Christmas Town, and it was something that I was personally involved in, and I got to work on it early on from while they were in development and scouting locations with everybody and giving them all the big tours, and uh, that was so much fun. That was back in um, Christmas of 2019. They came out, they shot in the city of Solvang during Yule Fest, something else that I was helping produce as well. And it it was a lot of fun, and Central Coast Film Society we got uh, we got involved. We we put out a casting call for extras, and uh, there was hundreds of people that responded, and it, that was just amazing. And I I I'm really really excited uh, how things turned out. Um, so if you like those kinds of movies, definitely check it out. Uh, it is uh, available online, I believe, until January third. 
So, you know, if, if you are one of those purists that need to wait until after Turkey Day before you start flipping on the Christmas music in the car, go for it. Um, if you're a family like mine that says November 1st, it's Christmas, uh, yeah, then go for it. <laughs> it's, at least that's how we, how we roll here with my wife. Um, definitely, definitely we're listening to uh, Christmas music in the car already. And uh, there you go. That's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, <laughs> but um, I do have a review as well uh, for the movie. If you want to read about that, it's on the blog. Um, so definitely check that out. And I definitely have some of my uh, stories about the film shoot as well on the Central Coast Film Society blog, which you can find on centralcoastfilmsociety.org. Um, so check it out, but right now I really want to dive into, um, uh, our interview with John Copeland. He's just an amazing guy to talk to. So let's go ahead and patch in John now. All right. And now we have John Copeland on the line. John, how are you? I'm good, Daniel. How are you doing? Doing great. Hey, it's been a while since we've uh, seen you out at. We had the screening for your your film. Um, was that last year? I can't even remember. Um, oh, at least it was at least last year. I, I mean, you know, the, you, this this with the pandemic. I mean, you know, kind of like everything kind of gets hazy it, and mushy. Oh, so you know yeah. what the chronology was anymore. But I do think it was. I think it was in 2019 that we did that i think you're right yeah you were you were our first screening too so um definitely uh we'll always remember that that was that was a a great night and uh again appreciate you for coming out and and showing the film i think uh, it was it was a fun night in los olivos yes and it was uh, i believe it was man created dog wasn't it it was yeah and man created dog so um i i mean and and We'll get into that. We'll get into all sorts of things, but I just tell everybody just kind of about what your background is. How'd you get involved in the in the movie industry, and 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 how'd you land where you landed? Well, I you know as a kid, I always loved movies. Uh, you know, I went to you know probably every Saturday, my buddies and I would go to the Kitty Matinee down at the Belmont in uh, in Belmont Shore in uh, Long Beach, yeah. uh, and. I would, you know, the rest of the the rest of the weekends on Friday nights, Saturdays, and Sundays, my mom would usually have to throw me out of the house at some point because I'd just be sitting there watching movies on television because <laughs> I was fascinated by them. And in, you know, I I went when I went to college, I was um, I was a theater major, and my sophomore year, um, they uh, I was this was at Chapman and this was Chapman before it was a university it was a college they uh, brought they started their first intro to filmmaking class and two of my pals uh, were taking it and they um, I was the lead in their student film and so I kind of went through not only filming but the editing of it and all of that with them and realized my God this is a lot of fun and so <laughs> I jumped into the intro to filmmaking class the next the next year and between my my junior and senior years in college um i every penny that i could put together i bought film stock uh in the days before you could do stuff on a sd i was gonna say film stock or, what's or that <laughs> yeah exactly back in the days before video yeah. And, uh, you know, did uh, actually 21 movies, 21 short films wow. uh, that ranged anywhere from like 90 seconds to uh, 20 minutes. What, was, what uh, size film? The longest one. Uh, they were 16 and uh, a single eight, which was uh, a Fuji um, uh, f- film format that was actually like a super, it was like a super, super uh, eight millimeter because yeah. it was uh it it had it only had it uh it had a wider a bigger frame than uh regular regular eight millimeter but uh and it was my very first film which was based on um a uh, a poem or a, a actually um a, a piece that, that J.R.R. tolkien had done that was called the homecoming of bjornoth bjornhelm's son wow that was uh, he had taken from a fragment of um, Anglo-Saxon literature that was probably in its complete form as long as Beowulf was, but this was just a, this was just like about 56, 56 lines that he turned into a, a little play, and, and it inspired me. And it was the this 
the um, his story was uh, Bjornoth was um, a Anglo-Saxon king in Wessex when the when the Vikings were raiding England and. At the Battle of Malden, the English army had trapped the the Vikings in a in a boggy ground, and they said, "Okay, well, you got us. Um, we'll give up, and just let us come out and meet you on the you know on dry land, and we'll you know." Uh, and while this was going on, they sent ten ships further down the coast, and they came in behind the English army and massacred them. And so Bjornoth was killed. And hmm. my piece was about. Uh, two slaves that hauled Bjornas that found that that took Bjornas body from the battlefield and took it to uh well they were supposed to take it to Eli Abbey um and these guys were both two slaves that had their life had had everything provided for them even though they were slaves they had clothes they had food they had a place to sleep hmm. You know, they kind of had, uh, you know, an assured existence. And all of a sudden, they're on their own. And in the – so the, the film was actually called The Free Man. And it was about one of the – who is the only one that kind of like survives the adventure. Yeah. But uh, his first day of having to look after himself as a, you know, nobody over him or anything like that. And – so it won a couple of uh, film festivals in Orange County, and I put it in a in a sort of a national uh, film festival that was in uh, that was in New York, and um, a the person who gave me my first professional job, um, who was an English producer, his name was Ewan Lloyd. He was in New York, um, and had a couple of meetings canceled um back there for and the hotel he was staying in was right next to the venue where they were showing this these student films oh, and wow. he went over and he actually saw my film now you flash forward a little bit <laughs> um when i was at chapman chapman had a a uh, film program that was called the great films guild of chapman college and they we showed um, classic movies uh, from the studios in all in uh, three different venues on on campus and in an old theater that was down on the traffic circle um, in uh, in the city of Orange every you know every week and we would, uh, this was back in the days before video cassettes before people were worried about you know piracy of movies um and you know stealing intellectual property and um, the guy who was in charge of the of the the great films the professor paul frizzler um there were three of us that would get to take the college uh pickup truck up to a studio and uh drive to the vault and of course because these guys were all union we couldn't touch the film cans and they would give us 35 millimeter films 16 millimeter films and so the guys would the the uh, guys at the vault would usually say, "Why don't you guys go over to the commissary, grab a coke, you know, walk around the the lot for you know 45 minutes and or an hour, and come back. We'll have it all loaded for you." So what we used to do was we would sneak into screening rooms just to see what people were watching. Sometimes wow. we'd see daily, sometimes we'd see a whole thing, and we snuck into this one screening room. This was at Warner Brothers, and uh, they just rolled rolled the movie and when we ducked right into the very last row of the thing and you know of course as we came in we let a little light in and could see this guy turn around and look at us <laughs> um and it, the film was uh was called uh, a man called noon it was uh, based on uh, a louis l'amour book hmm. and uh so it starred richard krina krina and stephen boyd and farley granger uh and afterwards we you know we kind of sat through it and we said it was an okay western um, and as they, you know, when the lights came up and the exec, the guys down in the front, they kind of were talking for a little bit and they went out the side door, but this one guy that, uh, stayed there and, and, uh, he came up to us and said, so what are you guys doing here? And so we kind of told him the story why we happened to be up at Warner brothers and me being, you know, kind of a big mouth. I said, so, you know, what do you think about, you know, cause I was a senior, I said, so what do you think about, um, you know, film school? 
um, you know, after after college. And he just looked at me and he says, well, what you really need to do is you need to get experience. And I thought, oh, great. Yeah, that's a great answer. Yeah. Well, a month later, I had to go into my parents' house to pick up my registration and tags for my car uh, from from Orange. This was in Long Beach. And so I rolled in and they're um, having cocktails before going out to dinner with my mom and my dad and one of my dad's friends who brought along a friend of his who was this same guy that I had encountered in the screen in the oh, screen. What are the odds? He was. the Yeah. Yeah. Ex- well, exactly right. And yeah. we both kind of, you know, said, Hey, uh, and after that, he, uh, he actually, he actually called me and he said, give me a resume and I'll see if I can, you know, maybe use you on my next film. And, uh, I thought, Oh, well, great. You know, I'm here. I am. I'm, uh, <laughs> 22 two year old senior in college and and yeah what kind of resume do I have but I, anyway I put it together and lo and behold Ewan uh, on his next feature film um, gave me a job I started off as a runner by the time we finished production I was actually working as a as an assistant director as in a second wow. assistant director and after that he asked me to and the the film was over because we were he was based in in London at Twickenham Studios, and mm-hmm. we filmed him in, in Malaysia. Ken Anakin, uh, who uh, was the was the director, Ken Anakin did uh, uh, Swiss Family Robinson mm-hmm. for uh, for Disney, uh, the Magnificent Men and Their Flying Machines, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, um, did the British sequence of the of the Longest Day. I mean, he was a really a a pretty well grounded yeah, director. People knew him, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, the two stars of the film were uh, David Niven and Toshiro Mifune, and uh, it was like such a, you know, uh, for me it was just like, oh my god, this is like so cool being able <laughs> right. to work with these guys who I watch their movies. <laughs> right. um, but after you know, after the film was all done, I mean, you and asked me to come to work for him, huh. and so I worked the next, I next worked the next year and a half uh, there, kind of as a as an illegal alien. <laughs> um, and, um, getting, getting paid under the table. And I finally got in, uh, they got in trouble by, from Inland Revenue. They made an inquiry about me. Um, mm. and I, you know, they, they said, well, you, you know, I think we, you, you need to go back to the United States. And so I went over to Barclays Bank across the street from, from the studio and wired my money back to, to California and, uh, took a, took a plane and they were actually, they were expecting me at the airport because when i went through passport control they pulled me aside and they checked me because at this time this was back when harold harold mcmillan was the prime minister of uh of the uk and they had currency laws um and they had restrictions about how much currency you could take out of the country with you yeah and so they they went through all my bags my briefcase and everything looking to see if i had any currency and if i'd had you know if i you know they would have if I had violated those things, I would have had my passport stamped with, I can't come back to England ever. Huh. A, you know, I, I had sent stuff ahead that it wasn't on me. So I came back, uh, and was, um, actually went back to work at, at Chapman for, uh, about 18 months and, uh, built a bunch of stages for them and their first TV studio in um, um, that was uh, finally taken over by Cablevision of Orange. But um, I was, Ewan was gracious enough to introduce me to an associate of his in, um, in LA. And so by 19, I guess 1978, 79, I started working with, uh, with Doug Netter, who uh, had been um, sort of a, protege of sam goldwin's um he had worked with mike todd and was involved with cinerama and all that was uh, had uh was on uh was a colleague of uh, sam spiegel when uh and worked on uh, lawrence of arabia mm-hmm. um he helped uh doug helped uh found uh, jack lemon's production company with jack gordon carroll and and doug that was jalen productions and uh then wound up at uh, at as the head of motion pictures at MGM, and then went independent, which you eventually everybody does out of the studio <laughs> system, you know, in Hollywood. Yeah. Everybody goes indie prod, um, and he, he was uh, 
you and introduced me to him. We started working and worked on a, uh, another Louis L'Amour pro- on a Louis L'Amour project called The Seconds, which was a four-hour miniseries for NBC. Hmm. And then, you know, Doug and I worked together for the next 22 and a half years uh, and did uh, a bunch of miniseries. We did, uh, besides uh, um, The Sackets, we did Wild Times, which uh, both of those starred uh, Sam Elliott and Ben Johnson. They were... Uh, the Wild Times was uh, based on a novel by Brian Garfield and uh, was about the start of the Wild West shows. Um, we did another one that was Roughnecks that was about uh, cowboys in Wyoming and the Roughnecks that were working in a geothermal uh, project in uh, outside of Rock Springs. Uh, and then we migrated over to Disney uh and uh, did a couple of pilots over there and then ultimately did the flagship family series for uh, the Disney Channel when it launched in uh, 1983 that was uh, called Five Mile Creek. That was about two um, two women that ran a stagecoach stop in hmm. Australia during their frontier period. So, uh, Australia had had a very similar frontier period to what we did in the United States. They had stagecoaches. They had outlaws that were yeah. called bush rangers and there was, you know, gold strikes and, and all of that. And what's really interesting is all of their stagecoach lines were started by Americans going down there. Huh. Um, so, and from there, from there, we migrated on to your favorite show, Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future. Yes. Uh, you know. <laughs> I, I remember, and, I still remember playing that so well as a kid, just loving Captain Power. That was, that was the best. Well, it was, it was, we did a, we did a, a sizzle piece for, um, um, for Mattel to, uh, sell at Toy Fair and also, uh, at Natty to, uh, sell the show. And even in our sizzle, our sizzle piece, which was like, oh, I guess up 15, 15 minutes, uh, at the most, uh, we had the CG character of, uh, Sauron mm-hmm. that, uh, interacted with, uh, with, uh, Captain Power and his and his team, and we actually had the interactive. We were able to demonstrate the interactive, and that was uh, that was quite element. a bit of technology back then too. Well, it was uh, in the in and in fact, the prototypes that we were working to do the to to do the sizzle piece with were so sensitive you could be thirty feet away from the television set. Wow! And you could. You could score a point on the bad guy, or he could score a point off of you. Um, and so then we, you know, every everybody was very excited about this. So saw oh, this is going to be a great thing. And then Peggy Sharon, that was uh, uh, the leader of the what the, the the kids the advocacy the parents advocacy group for uh, children's television, said, "Well, you're making two classes of." Um, of viewers, the kids that will have the toy that can interact with it. Mm. And then the kids that don't have the toy. And I, I had to write a, I, one of my jobs that I was given uh, was I had to write a paper and how this is not going to make two tiers of viewers because the, you can watch the show and not realize that there's this interactive component to it. And that was the way that we proceeded until, um, and we began the production up in Toronto. Um, we took over an old uh, bus facility on the western side of town on Sororan Avenue, um, which was 150,000 square feet that we turned into five sound stages, wow. a miniature shop, a motion control stage. Um, yeah, it was pretty. It was it was pretty elaborate. Yeah. And uh, the um, um, the computer animation group was also. Uh, put in place up there in uh, um, in Toronto. Was it still all under and the same house, or was it in different buildings? It was. Uh, it's you know we when we first when we first started it we were we were uh, when we were started the the uh, uh, sizzle piece we were working with Digital Productions. Now they uh, did um, the Last Starfighter. Oh yeah, another one of my favorites. And, <laughs> And I mean, and I mean, and they were the, you know, I mean, cutting edge of digital yeah. of, of digital technology and everything. I mean, they had Cray computers doing their processing, their computer, their computer animation files. Um, 
And uh, they got bought in the midst of us doing this thing by a Canadian company called On the Bus. Hmm. And then On the Bus kind of got into some financial troubles. And so with we were able to, and this was you know, one of the expertises that Doug had um, in able to bring financing and put people together to, you know, make something work. We took kind of like the shards of, of on the bus and uh, in uh, digital productions, and it was reformed as a Canadian company called Arca. And um, let's the uh, Rob Coleman, and Sylvia Wong were the two lead animators. Uh, mm-hmm. Sylvia uh, is uh, married to um, Charlie. Oh, well, I can't think of his, his last name. His dad was his dad was um, one of the one of the laugh-in troupe that uh, would do the the oh. guy in the German helmet. Very interesting. Yeah, um, yeah, yes, yeah. that was. Okay, so and I think it was Johnson, but uh, so Charlie and 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 Sylvia wound up at at uh, Rhythm and, and at Rhythm and Hughes. Mm-hmm. Rob Coleman is the head of all animation at um, uh, Animal Logic in Australia now, hmm. uh, and they're I mean I've, these are folks that I've stayed friends with after the the ordeal of captain power yeah. uh, over over the years um well, but uh but after captain we, power you you did move on to a, another different sci-fi project well i did but i'll, I'll tell you one let me just finish about, oh, yeah, about yeah, captain yeah, power course. here real quick so here we are we've finished eight episodes i'm in the post-production house and we and uh we get the production the production models of the toys right and so everybody, you know, we got a whole bunch of them shipped up to us from Mattel. We break them out in the in screening room over at uh, um, um, major video productions on uh, on Church Street in Toronto, and everybody wants to play with the toy, and we've realized the toy doesn't work with the videos. Oh no! And they had what they had done was they had gone for a one cent cheaper photo cell which is what read the 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 signal on in the in the in the tv image right and all of a sudden it was not you know you could it didn't it didn't see the stuff the same way and so we had to go back on um the eight episodes that we'd finished and then we we stopped production on subsequent episodes for two weeks while we figured out what we were going to do but we went back and and we had to make the, the signal or the panels and the troopers and, and on Sauron and Blaster and those got the CG characters much bigger. Yeah. It, so you know, silly toy could see it. That, that does bring up a good point too. Cause I don't think a lot of people may even know what it is, but I do, but like, just so that they know that this was a toy that, that was a sensor of the TV screen. It wasn't connected in any other way. You know, like right. video. No. Yeah, there was no cables, no nothing attached to it. It was just the sensor in the toy picking up what the image was on the screen, and that was it. And and you could shoot the bad guys on screen, and they could shoot you back. <laughs> yeah. And when you and you when you lost all your points on your either your power jet or or whatever, you know, it flew apart like a crash mobile. Yeah. And the you know and and your you know your Captain Power yeah, character bailed out, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. but uh, yeah. So I mean, it really, it really was a, a, a you know, kind of a, a, a crazy thing at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. But it was, but it was, it was on Captain Power that, um, and you, you alluded to the other science fiction show, Babylon Five. Well, that's uh, Joe Straczynski was our story editor on uh, Captain Power, and he came to and met with Doug and I after uh, we were all done with that and uh, he said you know I've got an idea for a series a science fiction series set in space that is character driven and has you know he says I think it's got the uh, the ability to cross over demographics and get pe- people interested that are not necessarily science fiction fans yeah um, he had the he had the pilot script. He had an incredible Bible uh, that he had been working on for a long time, and 
so we we definitely saw what that this was that this was a very cool concept yeah. and uh, could be a could be a great show and then it took us five years to sell it every place that wow. we went they they'd turn it down well science fiction had a really no. really bad name yeah. they would say you know look star trek is its own unique phenomena yeah. so there's not there, there won't be another one like that and you know over at warner brothers they had um almost crashed the studio with v um mm. and uh where episode uh in episodes were going one hundred and fifty thousand dollars the uh you know it was it was terrible and they you know even max headroom was incredibly expensive I and mean, they just everybody shit away for it they, things were always budget they never made schedule and so we were just kind of like you know sisyphus pu- pushing the rock uphill all constantly yeah and so we'd wait a, we would we'd go out and we'd pitch to the network we'd pitch to all the studios get turned down we would wait until the executive suite roulette happened and you know executive changed all over and then we'd go back in to you know fresh things and we eventually um evan thompson who was the head of uh the crisscross station groups which um don't exist anymore but they were a kcop in la uh they were a station in in san francisco i mean they were probably 60 percent of the markets across the major markets across the united states they were in uh chicago they were in new york they were in boston um evan uh had been a fan of doug's and mine since um we had done the sackets and you know doug would have lunch with with him in in beverly hills every you know every so often and uh he kind of mentioned this project and evan took a look at it and said you know this is kind of interesting. Well, do you think about this? And uh, he was another person that comes into this is Dick Robertson, who um, was uh, the head of uh, television, domestic television distribution at uh, at Warner Brothers. And he had started at, te- at Telepictures. Um, he, Michael Solomon, uh, you know, David Saltzman, these, these guys were all distribution guys. They put together telepictures their first project that they took out was the sackets which did very well for them they just went from strength to strength they finally bought Lorimar uh they came over and they kind of took over uh Warner Brothers and Dick was uh um in domestic television distribution is another word for syndication the off-network runs of, of stuff or talk shows well Evan and Dick got together and started thinking about this and they came up with a novel concept uh, because the, in the early nineties um, there were almost no one hour programs on network TV. They were all sitcoms and the, you know, Hill street blues had died. Yeah. Uh, you know, there was no, there was no more Magnum um, you know, all of these, the, the one hour and they thought, you know, this is the time to bring one hour back in syndication. And so they brought together a state, a group of stations. You had Evans, uh, Chris Craft stations, mm-hmm. uh, Gaylord came in, uh, and then in, and then some independent stations. And then Dick and his team would cover the rest of the United States to get clear the markets for advertising sales. And it was called the primetime entertainment network P10. And they first went out with, uh, with, um, time tracks and kung fu with uh david carradine Mm -hmm. and we got a pilot out of the out of the out of the deal and uh, we had to deliver because they were we were still science fiction so they weren't sure what we were going to look like and they said you know how is this going to look great well what was the selling point? the budget that we're making i was going to say what was the selling the the, the selling point when we showed them in in um, the guy who had been the head of the models, models and motion control shop up at uh, in Toronto, on Captain Power, was this crazy Englishman, uh, Ron Thornton, and Ronnie uh, had become really good. We became really good friends, and uh, he was just always playing with new technology. And he discovered the video poster, 
New Tech's video tester, which ran on a Commodore 64, and it was uh, it was a hard card that was to give um, regional television stations the ability to do three dimensional titles, mm-hmm. you know, add some pizzazz to their newscast and all. But it had this animation program in there, part of it, that was called Lightwave. Uh, Lightwave had been designed by a guy by the name of Alan Hastings, who really wanted to work on Star Trek movies, and so he made an animation program that was great for spaceships and, and all. Oh, yeah. Ron got really proficient on this. And so one of the, 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 the big hurdle that we could not get over with these, with uh, these guys initially with that, was if you, you know, just uh, not even half of what Star Trek gets the uh, um, next uh, next generation gets for uh, you know a budget. How are you going to look that good? And so we Ronnie composed a shot that was 56 seconds long. We put a little bit of music to it, and so the camera's looking in deep space, and there's a little spot that is moving and coming and getting bigger and bigger, and it resolves into a spaceship, a, a big beat up freighter that comes by the camera in an absolute paint scraper. And the camera then pans with it and then kind of follows on its tail as it starts approaching an object that resolves itself into a space station. And we take it all the way in the docking bay, all in one shot. And the executives that we were, the the steering committee of P-10, we showed it to them. And they said, can we see that again? And we played it for them. We went up playing for them 10 times. They could not believe what they were seeing. And they said, this is a shot that would be un- impossible to do with models and motion control because you can't, you can't make the distances resolve the way that it does in, in, in the computer. And based on that, they gave us our they pilot order. Wow. So we did the gathering, uh, and we had to, we, but we had to hit a rating plateau. They sold the advertising on a, it was, this was stuff was all done on what was called the cash barter system so that, the uh, advertisers paid a certain amount of cash. The P10 group got to keep, or Warner Domestic Television Distribution got to keep a certain number of of television spots that would generate revenue for them. So the in, deliver, uh, you know, a 3.2 rating in, uh, which doesn't sound like a whole lot, uh, but that's over four million viewers uh on a syndicated you know on a syndicated non-network uh show and we did so we got our you know we got our order for the first season and it was like that every season on babylon 5 we were always gonna are we gonna make it back are we coming back for another season do we (laughs) because they would not the one of the one of the things that was made very plain to us was they would not they the studio and p10 would not deficit finance uh, this production, we had to do it for the revenue that was generated by advertising sales. That, and that, that um, was the sole driver right there. That, that exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, deficit financing for any of the folks listening to this, that, uh, it, it is quite often with network shows with series, uh, whether it's big bang or it's, you know, or friends in the past or, you know, whatever, um, the studio would, the, the network would pay a license fee of X and yet your production costs with your stars and everything like that actually total Y. So the difference between X and Y the studios would make up because they own, they own the show. They're going to be able to if the show is, if the series is successful and goes on and on and it gets the off network uh, broadcast after they get like 65 episodes, this turns into a cash cow. So they make their money back. But, I'll, you know, more series fail than uh, than make it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's 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 always a uh, you know a roll of, of the dice for the you know for the studios to do that. And they they said you know we're not gonna roll the dice on you guys. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, but it, they. I was gonna say well, it, they, it obviously it paid off. You you got a, a it was a, a huge hit. I mean, it definitely. Well, uh, is it did it, was, it, meet, it your, did did well. meet your expectations i mean did you think it was gonna yeah, be yeah i you know i did i mean there were there were you know there was doug there was me uh joe the creator and and showrunner of it 
uh, Ron Thornton, John Acavelli, who was our production designer, another really close friend. Uh, we all, when we got the pilot order, we, we all made a pact that we would make the pilot as good as we could. And that if we got to go into series, we would make the series better than the pilot and try to improve each episode uh, that we did. And I think that we, you know, I think we really kind of rose to the, to, to that, you know, to that challenge. Yeah. Um, Babylon five was the first, uh, was the first television show uh, to win back to back Hugo awards, which are sort of the Academy awards of, of uh, science fiction and, mm-hmm. and fantasy. Yep. Uh, we were the first, we were the first show to win back to back awards since twilight. Wow. And so that's not bad company. To yeah, be. no, um, that's you know? awesome. And it, yeah, it was, and and I th- I think we really we really delivered. And they the you know the follow on series Crusade, unfortunately not, <laughs> yeah, the same opportunity because there was um, we um, by the fifth season of Babylon Five, the world of television had had significantly altered, and so syndication was not the same deal anymore. Uh, Fox had started up as a network. Mm-hmm. And so a whole lot of the stations that were part of P10 had become, you know, were, were members of the Fox network we had to find a new, we had to find a new home and Doug would not, you know, just l- let us go off into the dark. He worked every angle he could and convinced TNT that they should, that they needed to take this show. And so our fifth season wound up on TNT and then crusade started on TNT mm-hmm. And then Warner Brothers and, and TNT started to have some disagreements. Now they're part of the same company. Right. Um, and when that happened, uh, uh, Brad Siegel, who was the president of TNT, finally said, "You know, I'm not taking any more episodes." And so, that's <laughs> okay. what, what he said to, to Warner Brothers. And that was kind of like we're we're felt between two chairs. I mean, we're just kind of like caught between these two people that don't want to get along. And right. so that was the end of crusade after. And, uh, I think it would have, uh, crusade would have matured into, um, an equally interesting science fiction yeah. show, but it just wasn't to be. Now you talk about television changing in, in today's world in, in, uh, this current COVID-19 where we are just consuming television and streaming services left and right. I mean, it, it, how do you think Babylon five is, is like playing on uh, an audience now, or they're trying to go back and rewatch it. Is it streaming anywhere? Is it, 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 it is, it's been on, um, and there's, there's a big Babylon five group on, um, on, on Facebook, but yeah. it's been streaming on, um, I think it was, uh, what is it rocket? And it was streaming on Netflix for a while. It was, um, and you know, the, the, the sad, the, the sad thing for Babylon five, uh, for, you know, a lot of viewers, a lot of viewers today is we were right on the cusp before HD really clicked in. And so Mm. even though we were, uh, we, we shot on 35 millimeter film, and uh, we finished on digital beta cam. Uh, the visual effects, all the digital effects, were dropped into those in into those shows. Yeah. Um, and we actually, you know, they actually for for the European markets in 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 PAL um, and uh, and CCAM, which was. You know, our our standard def was 525 lines of information on a television screen. You know, uh, abroad, PAL was 625, right. so it was a little crisper. But they did the widescreen. They did the letterbox version of because we were shooting in um, Super 35 mm-hmm. um, to allow for its television technology. Warner's never upconverted the shows though to HD, wow. and. So this, you know, the, they, you know, they look a little, you know, when people look at them today, yeah. uh, you know, they look, you know, they look a little dated, uh, because of the, of the res- resolution thing. I mean, we still have lots of fans. People are watching this thing streaming, yeah. uh, and, uh, you know, and, and still buying the DVD sets, uh, yeah. and, you know, we still have lots, lots of fans and people are wanting to know, well, why didn't it get rebooted? And sometimes it's hard to make lightning strike 
twice in the same bottle. Well, I mean, never, just, never no say way. never, but yeah, <laughs> no, I yeah. Um, all but right. We're, you know, we're 20 years on down the, down the road from the end of that. Sure, so it's, sure. it's harder and harder to put these things back <laughs> together. So, but that wasn't the last thing. So you moved on and, and started doing some other projects. We don't have that much time, but I just want to touch quickly on like the, you know, uh, well, the show that we, that, that we screened, you know, getting into national geographic and, and documentaries. How did well, all that and, get to be? And that was, well, I switched at, at the point that, that, uh, crusade, uh, went down um i kind of was looking for something else to do and a uh, a really close friend of mine uh leon silverman um entered who is um a key player in in simpty um and said you know there's somebody that you need to meet because he's got he's got a he's got a a uh, deal with discovery for some big specials that involve visual effects. And he needs, he needs somebody like, he needs to have somebody like you on board. And, uh, so I went to one of these simply screenings and, uh, met Pierre, uh, Delespinois and, um, you know, Leon kind of put us together after we looked at the screening, we went and had a cup of coffee together. And, and by the time we were done with the cup of coffee, we were working on, uh, when dinosaurs roamed America for, uh, the discovery channel. There you go. And that's kind of how, that's how, the uh that you know part of my filmmaking career of starting to do doc documentaries and and all started and they were all for the most part all had you know lots of visual effects in it which i was very very comfortable with and uh you know from you know did uh oh when dinosaur roamed america which was a follow-on uh to the uh bbc's walking with dinosaurs which discovery was a partner in and it did that had done so well for discovery they wanted to repeat it bbc says no nah, we're not really so interested in so they that's why that's how dinosaurs when dinosaurs around america came about discovery says we're still doing more dinosaur shows gotcha and that led on to dinosaur planet which was um, four more hours of of dinosaurs um science of star wars which was which was pretty fun yeah. uh, faces of earth uh, and you know all the way up to when man uh, created dog for national for national geo uh, which was a really I think a really excellent story to do and it, it still holds up oh yeah that w- that was a lot of fun to to watch there with you so um well thank you john for for stopping by I mean it, it's uh, we could sit here and talk I mean I could talk about captain power and <laughs> all that but <laughs> but uh for forever but um but what are you what are you up to now nowadays so you're you live here on the central coast what any nice big projects you're working on now or what what's um, what's keeping I'm you busy not really i'm just i'm i'm uh growing olives and making olive oil and, and hey not next bad. year will be the 15th year of doing that i mean it turned into uh a, a, a real a real business um the you know my creative outlet is um you know the exhibits that i'm doing at the san Inez historical um museum in uh carriage house and um i write a monthly column for um the san Inez valley star on uh, the history of holidays awesome so i mean yeah so i mean that keeps me that keeps me more than busy (laughs) well very good well john thank you again so much for coming and spending some time with us uh absolute pleasure thank you so much i appreciate it all right Oh, my pleasure, Daniel. All right. Take care. care. All right, you guys, I am so excited to finally now talk about uh, we're going to have at least one more event this year. Um, I think that brings it up to maybe a grand total of three events that we've had. Uh, 2020, you know. Uh, All right. So, guys, we are going to be having a family-friendly drive-in screening of the movie The Croods. And a huge thank you to the city of Buellton, who is going to be co-hosting this uh, screening with us. So, thank you so much. If you guys want to get tickets, they are available online now. And you can go to centralcoastfilmsociety.org, click on events, and that's got our, our the very first thing that's going to pop up is our screening. So definitely check that out um, right there. 
the gates are going to be open uh, for the, the screening in Buellton. The gates will open at 5.30 p.m., so it's first come, first serve uh, in terms of where you get to park and watch the movie. Um, just a couple quick notes, though. There are no food vendors, so bring food. Uh, go out to eat first. Uh, do whatever you want. Just please pack your trash out with you. Uh, I don't want to be out there all night long picking up trash in the in the field. Um, that would be fantastic. The only way to get to this drive-in is to drive down Sycamore Drive down to Riverview Park. And all the other streets are going to be for the residents only, so please respect that. Also, um, you do want to get your tickets early because per Santa Barbara County uh, public health orders regarding drive-in events, we have to cap it at 200 tickets and one ticket per car. Um, you know, if you're, if you have a big car, I guess that's, you know, that's pretty good. Uh, definitely, um, you know, if you have a smaller car, you know, if you're in a smart car or a mini Cooper, that would be, that'd be swell too. Uh, either way, this is your experience guys. I want you to have fun with it. Okay. Um, please don't leave your car for, uh, any reason except to go to the restrooms. There are going to be restrooms available at the Riverview park and make sure you please wear your mask while you do it. Uh, before we uh, turn the table on this one, I just want to say a huge thank you to all of our amazing sponsors, and I'm going to give them a shout out right now. Uh, of course, City of Buellton, um, they have been so supportive of the Central Coast Film Society, and, and I cannot uh, thank the City Council uh, enough for all their support that they've given us uh, o- over the course of several years now. Um, so City of Buellton, thank you. Um, St. Is Valley Star, the Valley Gardener, Candace Cigna, SYV Consulting, the St. Is Valley Marriott, Greenscapes Landscaping Inc., and uh, Hometown Insurance, the Solving Chamber of Commerce, Visit the St. Is Valley, and Tessie Martinez at First American Title. You guys are amazing, and um, we could not have done this event without you and uh so i do encourage everybody to please help support our uh sponsors as well uh, especially during this pandemic i mean they, they're supporting us we want to show them some love as well so um check out uh the tickets if you want to get them get them on our website or i'll leave a link in down in the description down below and i cannot wait to see you guys there <music> You guys, I am so excited to be behind the microphone here in my sprawling recording complex. Uh, But unfortunately, this is a wrap on this edition of Take 18. And what a take this has been. All right, this has been a production of the Central Coast Film Society. We are a 501c3 organization, and we couldn't do the show or anything we do possible without, of course, all those wonderful sponsors that I mentioned earlier. But, of course, we couldn't do it without your generous support. So to help make a difference, please consider making a donation, purchase a membership, or come to our event. (laughs) Did I mention the tickets are available now? You visit our website, www.centralcoastfilmsociety.org for more information. Sign up for our newsletter. uh, Follow us on social media. You guys, we are almost to 3,000 likes on Facebook. I want to get there by the end of the year. Please help me do that. That would be amazing. Again, uh, a major thank you to John Copeland for spending so much time talking with us. I mean, I honestly, I could talk to him forever about Captain Power. I think you guys know that. I kind of nerd out a little bit. Um, <laughs> but it was awesome. I love it. Uh, so don't forget to uh, check back in with us and we will have some more um, podcasts rolling around here soon. I also want to say um, thank you for listening all the way to the end. You guys are awesome. And uh, make sure you subscribe, share this with everyone. Just one little click really helps us. And uh, thank you for support. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. And uh, that's a take. Thank you.